Welcome to the Satori Lifestyle Podcast. This is Dave Kovar, and I'm super excited about today's podcast where I'm going to be interviewing uh, Professor Pedro Sauer. He's my good friend and also jiu-jitsu instructor, an amazing guy, and he's going to kind of share his life story. He's got some really interesting stuff to share with you and also uh, really some very insightful things when it has to do with health, fitness, and relationships. So please enjoy this interview with Hello, Pedro everyone. Sauer. Uh, I, I'm uh, Dave Kovar here, and I'm here with uh, Professor Pedro Sauer. Hello, sir. Hello. How you doing? Hello, guys. My pleasure to be here, my friend. Yeah, man. It's been a long time. So uh, for those of you guys in the martial arts world, uh, which is most people that will probably be watching, uh, listening now initially, is uh, he need, uh, P- Professor Pedro Sauer needs no introduction. He's uh, an absolute legend uh, in, in, in the jiu-jitsu community. He uh, it, it, it travels the world doing seminars and have one of the largest jiu-jitsu organizations uh, on the planet, of which I'm proud to be a part of, by the way. And uh, I thank you so much for taking the time today, Professor. So first and foremost, uh, what I want to do is just, hey, what you've been doing the last couple of months, like with everything that's going on, how, how have you kind of pivoted? What have you been doing different, better, or more of? Well, Dave, I got to tell you, since uh, for a couple of months ago, I discovered all my treats that I, I acquired when I moved <laughs> to America. <laughs> really? Yep. When I when I moved to America, my first job was in construction. So I got introduced to all the kind of tools and angles and carpenter and finished carpenter. And uh, anyway, since they started, I started doing some remodeling the house and cleaning stuff. Later, I I just cannot stop still one second. So I got to keep doing things. I'm still working in the yard. I'm working in motorcycle. I work in a couple cars. You're you're the Renaissance man. You you can do a little of everything. So uh, he, I know you hurt your back a couple of weeks back. Has it healed up a little bit? Yep, yep, the whole up good. I was fix, fixing my bike, and I think I was going up and down, up and down too much. The bike was sitting low, and I had to kind of force and kind of twist, and, and I think I tweaked my hips. You know, all those years of martial arts <laughs> it didn't help very much. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I know it, right? It's kind of like that mixed blessing. I I, I know that 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 uh, you're uh, we're about the same age. You're actually you're way older than me. You're a few months older than I am. But uh, but you know, so we got a, a, a it's tricky to like. There's a way to great to to uh, grow old gracefully and still be able to train. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit. So what I wanted to do is certainly uh, I, I, I would start out for people that didn't maybe don't know you. Uh, Kind of a history. First off, uh, Professor Sauer uh, was, you know, personally grew up in Brazil, was, uh, you know, personally trained by Elio Gracie and Hickson Gracie. You grew up with Hickson. He was one of your, you know, like your big brother, kind of like sort of in, in martial arts. And so your pedigree is amazing. But why don't you just kind of uh, take everybody through your, uh, you know, just a, a quick history of, of, of what got you to where you are right now? Yeah, well, I started jiu-jitsu as a young kid, and I, I honestly, I didn't realize too, too much the, uh, you know, I was kind of, got introduced to the, right to the Grandmaster Elio Grace, so I never understood very well, uh, you know, uh, kind of how effective, how efficient it was, uh, I never understood that, and then it got explained to me, and I came from a different martial arts, I never went to, uh, I didn't go to jiu-jitsu, and uh, I'm a, just 100% pure jiu-jitsu, uh, I started as a kid uh, doing judo, Later, I did a little bit of capoeira, and after that, I did a little bit of boxing, and I did taekwondo. And the mix between boxing and taekwondo was the birth of, uh, you know, the Vale Tudo, the, the, yeah. the group of Brazil that uh, did a lot of Marco Ruas, and a lot of, a lot of incredible people came from the merge between taekwondo and boxing. So they created a, a shoot box that was created later uh, by this merge. 
So when I got introduced to jiu-jitsu the first time, Dave, I was already, uh, I, I was doing boxing for a couple of years. I did, ju- uh, uh, you know, a little judo, not, not didn't progress the fighting judo, but I did some, uh, you know, maybe a year, year or something. And I did a, a boxing taekwondo. Taekwondo, I did, a, I went to tell a yellow belt. I, I, I tested for my yellow belt with Marco Huas. Really? That's the king of the streets. King of the streets. Yeah, he was a nice, I knew his brothers. One of his brothers was a good friend of mine. His name was Zezé. A nice individual, super nice. And Marcus was the youngest of five brothers. And I believe I got a sister too uh, of the family. And anyway, that's how I got introduced. And um, I knew Hickson from the streets. We used to hang out on the, on the streets and just kind of, you know, socialize and do things like a 14, 15 years old kids would do on the streets. Play stuff and, and you, know, you know, hardcore play as a, as a child. Right. But I never understood nothing about jiu-jitsu. Uh, and uh, I got introduced the first time. I saw, uh, I just visually saw, I didn't try at all. And I was like, no way, I'm never going to do this. I, I thought that was crazy. First time when I saw two guys doing jiu-jitsu, I couldn't understand one thing that was going on. <laughs> I was completely like, you know, why those guys don't punch each other? Why he didn't, you know, punch him over here? I, I couldn't understand, I couldn't understand nothing, Dave. To be honest, I was uh, completely naive uh, in, in the, in the jiu-jitsu uh, kind of environment, the strategy. But when I felt... Uh, just for you to see, it took me a couple of years to go back to the mat. Okay. So I, did, I didn't uh, join Jiu-Jitsu right away. It took me a long got time it. to go back. And after that, I got back to the mat. It was, uh, I'm on a, I want to say it was like in 1975 or 76 when I got to the mat, uh, seriously. And I started training Jiu-Jitsu. And, you know, we get hooked. And uh, the moment on, I got hooked. And I got hooked to, uh, in the academy. And, but the still... I was a spoiled kid that saw Grandmaster Elio Grace pretty much every night, you know. So I never knew any difference. I never knew anything between uh, different between other martial arts, other academies. And later, I remember uh, Carson Grace Academy, that was a was a very uh, talent, uh, very incredible talent jiu-jitsu academy, and understood how the jiu-jitsu start progress. Uh, you know, the Grandmaster Elio Academy was in downtown Rio de Janeiro. And that was the, the main headquarters, the main downtown academy. So downtown Rio de Janeiro. That means majority of the people that used to attend their class, the academy, was people that were wearing ties, was people that were working in, in, in a kind of the field of a stock market or owners, you know, governor people. It was very important people. Grandmaster I used to have incredible. Uh, in the same class that I was, uh, the president of Brazil took class. Uh, the minister wow. of just of Brazil took class. Uh, a lot of secret service, a lot of military, a lot of so we kind of surround a lot of doctors, uh, high performers, just high people. Very uh, that's that was Elio Grandmaster Elio Academy, and when you when you see the progress of jiu-jitsu, you can expand uh, from downtown to Copacabana. Copacabana is about I want to say kind of areas, but big areas uh, going down south, and after that there was Ipanema, there was Leblon. And after that was Baja, Gracie Baja. And that was a farther south. And the reason that happened, Dave, was that a lot of people was getting married and they could not afford to live close to downtown. So they merged a little bit farther. And, and, and you see the young population now is, is attending the, the academies. Everybody was more fit. Everybody was going to the beach. And, and at that time on, Grandmaster Elliot's kids, they arrived. And those are the community that comes to, to Carson. Got it. 
and they come to Gracie Baja Academy. So these are the young, these are the young athletes now, not the, like, not the business professionals. Got it. Exactly. And that's, that's pretty much what happened with the, 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 the the evolution of Jiu-Jitsu that the the people who learn Jiu-Jitsu from Carson, from, from the Gracie Baja, they are a lot more fit. They are a lot more younger. And the dads already knew Jiu-Jitsu from, from, from the, from the, from downtown, from Elio, Grandmaster Elio. So there was no question about what they're going to do. That's how the evolution happened. So, and then eventually you, uh, you were like a stockbroker in Brazil, weren't you? For 12 years. For 12 years. And you decided, man, I'm going to America to, 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 what, what made you decide, okay, you know, I'm doing great here, but I'm ready. What made you want to do that? And then to go to Salt Lake of all places, right? (laughs) Salt Lake was a, it was a mystery. It was a, it was a surprise. Yeah, what, what happened that uh, in in 1988 Brazil has like a, a, a economy of Brazil was not doing very good. Okay, uh, uh, the inflation was like in a uh, hundreds of sometimes a thousand percent inflation. It was like an unbelievable amount of inflation every day. And for me to be working a stock broker with the inflation combined with inflation, yeah, it was a huge challenge. You know, just for you to be equal, you have to earn every single day. 10%, you know, 8%, you have to have a gain every day just to be equal. Yeah. And if you lose something, you lose a lot, right? And at the same time, it was an open market. So people used to pay like a, a huge amount of, uh, of uh, 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 interest if you apply in the open market. So uh, real estate, uh, not real estate, uh, sorry, um, street, uh, stock market, it was a challenge at the time. It was a Brazilian president who decided to, to come up with a plan, and he froze the economy. And that's when I lost my job as a broker. Well, uh, not that I lost it. My job as a broker just stopped it. Got there it. No transaction. There was no money on the bank to buy. It, nobody, wants, could, nobody could sell stocks. So the stock market just stopped. And I, had a good, I, I made a good um, living doing stock market. So I was okay for more than a year. Uh, uh, and plus that allowed me to come to America a year later because what happened I started teaching martial arts in an academy called Corpo Quattro uh, Alvaro Barreto and Silver Bearing Academy uh, that was my first job and I did uh, taught jiu-jitsu there for about one year and uh, Corpo Quattro uh, done very well in a tournament uh, in Niterói and that word goes around that Corpo Quattro was doing really good they had a good, good uh, uh, team there was a lot of good guys training there Marcelo Baring was, was training there all the time. Fabio Gurgel was going there uh, once in a while. I saw a lot of good guys coming there training. And what happened that we produced good, good people, good fighters, good practitioners. And Elio Grace is seeing the results. And he kind of talked to Hicks on, on the phone. And Elio was coming to America. And I think Elio kind of, because I went back to Elio school to ask him permission, to teach jiu-jitsu. I, I felt like an awkward. Right, okay. So I went back there, and then you kind of offered me uh, the opportunity to move to America. So that's that's what happened. He came to America uh, probably a week before I came. And uh, we arrived in America pretty much the same time. We slept on the mats together for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> we shared the mats. So it was me, Grandmaster Helio, and Limon, Luis Aredia. We shared the mats for, for a good amount of time. Uh, that I stayed there in California. And after that, I moved to Utah. And that was the challenge. 
Yeah, well, Utah, you know, you're coming from a guy that had the beaches and the, you know, the sun and and uh, the surf, and all of a sudden here you are at 6,000 feet, and, and uh, yeah, that's when I met you. Yeah, that was like, uh, I met you, I think, at 94 or 95, somewhere in there, and, and yeah, a great school up there. I remember showing up the first time and not realizing how that wind affects your, yeah, you're like pooping out really quick, but uh, uh, so... Fast forward. So you built this amazing organization, and and now you 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 travel probably not as much the last couple of months, but pretty much you're one of the few guys that's on the road more than I am. You know, I I travel about a hundred days a year normally, and I know you do more than that. And uh, uh and you know, on top of you know, uh, one of the things that that uh, you know you get along with everybody so well, and I want to kind of talk about that a little bit because it's sincere. It's just not like a, you know, you, you are. That, that, that I heard someone say, if someone's got a problem with Pedro Sauer, someone's got that. Someone's got a problem. You know, they got a problem, right? I mean, and and so, you know, you you can go into a room and you have such a good sense about how to read the room. You make people around you, uh, you know, feel really good about things. And and uh, on top of being an amazing instructor and having amazing understanding of jujitsu, what every time I get a chance to train with you, I'm always blown away by all these little subtleties that that uh, uh you know, that you have but but that's that's not really what i want to i want to focus on i want to focus on you know how do you go about uh what's your strategy uh, when it comes to meeting people uh, what do, what do you do exactly to kind of put everybody at ease and make them feel comfortable well dave i got to say that this is is uh, is the fact of uh, when i was a kid uh i was a very troubled kid man i okay. was super hyper i was a completely out of my mind and what happened is that I, I grew up in a big family, uh, six brothers and sisters. My, my parents was a wealthy parents, and they used to have a lot of maids, a lot of people uh, around the house. So the house was always full of people. Always a lot of people cooking and taking care and cleaning, and maids to, to take care of the kids. You know, we have all kinds of kids down to, the, to, you know, from teenagers down to, to babies. So... What happened that I, I got introduced to this kind of the, the environment too early. And because I was so hyper, and when I talk about hyper, Dave, I was, I was like a, a super, super hyper. Okay. I've been in 12 different schools. Wow. And I got expelled from all of them. That's so hard to believe. Like people that know you now go, really? You? Yeah. Okay. So what, what was the shift? So how did, how did you uh, get, uh, how did you control those demons, so to speak? Well, that's a very good point because I think about this. As a child growing up, I was used to go to doctors, uh, to hospitals. I've done a lot of uh, electrical. Uh, you know when you go to the, I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Plug a lot of stuff in your head. Yeah. You start putting designs in front of you and you have to come up with some, what you see over here. What, what, did you see any figure? Did you see anything? So I used to do this for more than a year in a mental hospital. And on top of that, I was, my, my parents, without knowing, signed me up in a school that was just for mental uh, handicapped people. So I spent another year in a handicapped school. And, and one time, one day my dad saw me, uh, he was, he, my dad drove me to, to, the, the, to the school. And when he dropped, he saw two guys walking, kind of, you know, kind of special needs guys. And my dad looked and said, yeah, those are my buddies. They're in my class. And my dad's like, what? So he, my daddy got a kind of uh, surprise. So he parked the car and went there to the school. And the school was 100% for mental, uh, 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 mentally handicapped people. Mentally handicapped people. And I was there for one year. So what happened that uh, the, the way I got brought up, uh, brought up like growing up, 
my family. And that's going to build back again when I moved to Utah. Imagine when I moved to Utah and I have to face all the Mormons. I, was, uh, I, never, met, I never heard about the Mormons in my life. Uh, I knew one lady in Brazil that her, her, uh, her father was the president of the Mormons in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro. And we treated her nicely. We, we, I didn't know nothing about I never learned any culture. She was a girl that used to hang out with us. So I never got exposed to Mormon religion before. Well, when I was in Utah and I started getting exposed, and you know, I'm a not, not a white guy. Well, I, when I was a kid growing up, I thought that I was white growing up. And when I came to America, I discovered that I was not as white as I thought, you know, uh, especially in Utah, where everybody's really pure white people there. And so we don't see people of color. And in my family, we have colored people that have been in generations, past generation. Uh, in my generation, my family, we have a, a Portuguese blood. We have German blood. We have French blood. So we have a, a mix in our culture. And growing up in Brazil, I never understood uh, black, white, yellow, or, or, or religion, uh, Mormon, Catholic, Protestant. I never understood that. Because my mom, I always treat everybody, and especially myself, being a little bit crazy. She never treated me as a crazy. She never, I never heard my, my mom makes any difference between white, black. I never heard my mom make any difference between religion. And now that's something, Dave, that I don't talk this too much, but I feel comfortable to talk about this. Because think about that. When I grew up as a child, my mom, she was a, a median. And I'm not sure if you related to medians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it is a, 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 imagine myself growing up as a child, and I have to kind of hide things from my mom. And my mom was a very smart lady. Very she, she had good sensory acuity. She was very perceptive. So you, you could couldn't not fool. She couldn't fool. She had mom senses on steroids. That like was even it. more than most mom. Okay. You could never lie to my mom. But I, I was afraid. I've never been involved in any kind of median. Uh, I've never been involved in, in meetings. I've never, uh, uh, I never, I never been in, in too much kind of. I always avoided that. But by raising, by being raised by a median, what happened that came to a point of my life, I was about 23, 24 years old, and Jiu-Jitsu made, you know, made me be a lot more peaceful, a lot more calm. I start watching my mom uh, doing those meetings, spiritual meetings. And one time I heard my mom talking in a different voice. It was, I can tell without a doubt, it was not my mom. And I, it's kind of hard to say that, but my mom explained that to me, like, a, like say, my son, median people, they are like the radio in your car. The median people only have an antenna up. And the antenna can receive kind of message. And, and the median, they are the radio and the speakers. So we can talk to the speakers. So we, you only receive kind of uh, uh, this kind of the, the waves of things. We get these waves and we talk. Well, I never believed in that before until I heard my mom talking a little bit different. And after that, I was in meetings where I heard my mom talking in English. I heard my mom talking in different, uh, in an Indian language. And she communicated with an Indian guy. All, the only two guys was talking the whole entire time. And it was a completely Indian language. It was in California, in a, in a, in a place called Esalen Institute of Massage and Therapy. And in Esalen, used to have the Esalen tribe. They built this institute 
on top of an Indian cemetery. So my mommy received some spiritual <laughs> Indian there, and she spoke with, with native Indian there. So after that, and even before that, there was no doubt for me that was more stuff. It was more around, you know, sometimes uh, when you look to the sky and we see at nighttime, you see all those billions or trillions of stars. And, and my mom used to say, my son, do you think all those stars over there, that is, they're just there to please our eyes? Or do you believe that you might have something out there? So I was, I was maybe, I was kind of, I was, uh, with time, I was forced to believe there was more things up there. And this, what coped my personality, what coped my, my, the way that I treat people. I, I, I understand that we all believe 100% of the people we're here, we don't wake up during the day and say, you know what, today I'm going to do something bad. Today I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to do my, my, my best to mess it up. I believe that we all wake up during the day, uh, in the morning, and we try to do our best. So I don't care who you are, which color you are, which religion you are, uh, what you do. I wanna, you, gotta, you have my respect. You have my respect. You have my attention. You, uh, uh, you got my time. And uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to change nobody. I just want to make sure that the example that I received from my parents growing up, I want to pass this on. And the way that I try to pass this on is, is to treat people with respect, accepting people they are, they are how they are. But it doesn't mean that if I see somebody doing something wrong, I'm, I, I have a, a comfortable saying to go to the person and try to say, listen, maybe this, this approach is not the correct way. Maybe you can try to approach a little bit different. Maybe I have the comfortable, you know, I can feel comfortable about that. Yeah. And, you know, and it works so well. Thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting because, uh, you know, when, when you go about it and, and that's kind of the, the, the vibe that you give people that you respect everybody and you're listening and open. And what that does is, is I think it builds your emotional bank account, so to speak, to where when you are going to say, hey, listen, buddy, that's not right. They're more receptive to hear because you're not doing it out of your ego or you've already kind of built rapport. And it's kind of like, you know, that teacher that you had as a kid that you didn't like, you didn't try harder for that teacher. Yep. You know, you know, but when you had a teacher that you liked and respect, you wanted to live up to their image of themselves. And so that's kind of in, set, in, in essence why, you know, you're able to give people that kind of feedback. And it's usually probably like uh, accepted very well. So I, I want to switch gears and I want to talk a little bit about uh, you've had through training, through jujitsu, you've had a lot of injuries uh, over the years, lots of surgeries. Uh, more than me, I'm not even going to compare my surgeries <laughs> to yours. Uh, uh, and uh, and you're still and I know your training is different. Like you're not training like you did when you're 25. You can't be because I know you've given me that lecture. I was at your camp about a year ago and I was moving around with some young guys and you came over and go, David, what are you doing, man? Be smart. And and I totally get it. So what is it taken from somebody that like like uh, longevity? Uh, obviously, you'd probably do things different. But, you know, what you, your experience has made you who you are. So there's no only going forward. So what are you doing right now to, to, to kind of be able to continue to maintain your martial arts training while also staying healthy? So what, what's your strategy? Well, I, I cannot, uh, uh, you know, the other operation that I had on my body was, was a result from a really hard training that I had on the past. So when we came to America uh, as, as Brazilian, when I arrived here, 160 pounds, you know, I discovered that, man, everybody here in America is big, especially in Utah. You know, people in Utah, they are big people. They, the Mormons, they, they, they are very healthy people. 
and they all farm land. They all, you know, Utah was all farms. So everybody in Utah was pretty uh, farm. Kind Big of, and strong. Uh, yeah, yeah, that farm strength. And they do wrestling. They are wrestlers because the prophet Joseph Smith was a wrestler. So every kid in Utah does do wrestling. So imagine myself, 160 pounds, moving to Utah and have Mark Schultz, uh, 210 <laughs> pounds, arriving to school and being a member every day. So and, and just to be able to spar with Mark was incredible because thank you, God, Mark was, you know, nice. But still in the early days, we fought. Sure. You know, it was hard. We have to prove the art was. Sure. Do you remember on the early days, it was embarrassment to tap? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So imagine yeah. that. Man. Yeah. And so you got, you're making, you're representing the family. You're in, you're in uh, Utah and, and it's, because no, no disrespect, but you're not a physically intimidating looking guy. So that's going to magnify it. I've dealt with that my whole life too. Cause you know, I always wanted to look tough. It's, I realize it's never going to happen in this lifetime. It's you not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh, so, so, so you had, to, you know, you had to defend the honor and so you're stepping it up a lot. So that's what you did and it cost you a little bit, but it also made you who you are now going forward. What advice do you have for guys that they can, you know, you, do I just quit training when I'm, uh, you know, injured or, or how do I continue to, to train and stay healthy as I age? What, what are you focusing on? Well, I think the most important for us as instructors is to make sure that we give the students the path to learn jujitsu. First, in a very small and smooth way, we cannot speed, we cannot put the power in the beginning. That's the biggest mistake we can make. Because what happens when you do something like this, Dave, we are only the, only the strong ones are going to be able to, to, to stay on the mat. Mm-hmm. The people like myself, maybe the people like, like you know, our size people, that we are not so different size-wise, uh, even like, you know, imagine somebody 220 pounds, a 60 years uh, no, uh, 220 pounds, but 150 pounds light. And you have to face somebody 200 pounds that doesn't have too much uh, control, doesn't have too much finesse. It is for sure the angels is going to start to happen. <laughs> Sorry about you know, That's a horrible combination. Yeah, but, it really is. It really is, yeah. We, we need to slow down people in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I, I try to, to try to, no, because my family, let me show you something here that my family did. Uh, this is something that nobody's seen too much, but take a look at this over here. Very cool. So this over here is my grandfather. This is the first sour factory. Now try, take a look at this picture over here and take a look at these machines. Those machines, they are just the same machines that you can find in a Harley Davidson first factory of Harley Davidson. Wow. And those are the gears. Look at the gears they make been, been doing. Wow. That, that's the factory a little bit later uh, in 1970s. Look at the size of the gears. Look at the size of this gear here. Yeah, wow. This is, a, this is a two guys walking over there. Just to give a little perspective of the size of the gears. Those guys here probably is the half of this gear here. That's amazing. And, and this is my grandpa over there. So they used to have all those machines. It was about, uh, not sure exactly here, but uh, uh, they said over here it was 170-something machines a long time ago. So anyway, this kind of mentality that I grew up, Dave, that gave me the, the, the engineer mindset to try to put jiu together. Okay. I, I believe that the, the engineer mindset, and I worked in the factory for three years. So 
when I was a kid, I got exposed to gears to try to understand how they work. And I think I brought this to jiu-jitsu. Uh, so really understanding leverage would be a way of, of putting it, right? Like, like okay, okay. I started yeah, understanding I... leverage and, and if, because I was 160 pounds and because I was LU student one-on-one so, so many times, I, I end up to be a really believer that, you know what, if, you, if I understood leverage, I can do a lot of things. And the first thing that I started to understand was how to survive. Uh, Grandmaster Elio used to tell me, Pedrinho, if you survive, the fight can be a minute, 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour, two hours, or three hours and 45 minutes like I'd done it. I knew it. If I can survive, eventually I can win. And that's kind of very peculiar. It's kind of weird it's kind of to think about. But when you bring this to jiu-jitsu and you're on the mat every night grappling, when you start to survive, you start being slippery and you start to understand jiu-jitsu in a different ways. Because what happens is when, we have, when you pair up against somebody who does not act just like we do, they don't have the same survival instinct, the same survival uh, feelings, we can start to make the guy say uncle and catch the person. Mm-hmm. So, that's, that's, that's really good. Yeah. And then uh, it also the whole thing, uh, using jujitsu as a metaphor, which is so easy to do. I kind of like, like the last few years, my training has been like, I'm trying to get really comfortable in bad positions. That's where I spent a lot of time and, and to where you, you don't feel as uncomfortable there. Right. Which of course can work against you if you make it a habit of let, just fall over and letting the guy mount you. Yep. But, but the point is, is I kind of like the struggle of having a guy a sunk a choke in and you having to stay kind of relaxed and fluid. And, and I, I got to share a story with you. One time, uh, 15, 18 years ago, we had, as you know, we attempted a national expansion that didn't work as well as we'd liked. And we went from four locations to, uh, to 20 locations in a year and a half. And we got into financial trouble and we were fighting for our life. And, and this would have been about 2006 or 2007. And one of my saving graces then, what, what, what kept my head clear was, of course, training, right, jiu-jitsu. And I remember uh, we just got done with a business meeting with some of our, uh, um, some of our, our, our uh, what, uh, guys, uh, consultants, and they're all telling us, you need to file bankruptcy. You guys can't fight out of this battle. It's too big. And my, my business partner, who's still my business partner, Dave Chamberlain, an amazing guy, neither of us really wanted to do it, but we're kind of going, oh, you know. And so I went down, and I was training uh, with, with uh, actually uh, – uh, uh, you know, two other guys, and 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 uh, and that was my release. And so I, I got in this position, and at the time, uh, I let one of the, the guy was a blue belt at the time take my back and sink in a choke, and then I figured I'd fight out of it. And I realized, holy crap, I waited too long. And by the way, we've been training for quite a while; I was pretty fatigued. And you know that that uh, that panic that kind of kicks in that when you know you're feeling claustrophobic, and you, you know, the, I, I I don't know if you know the feeling. I'm sure you do, I right? Do. And 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 so I remember thinking I could tap right now. I maybe, but then I remember looking up, and, and my nephew Gordon was watching. He was, and I realized, okay, if I pass out, he'll stop it. So I could tap out right now, but I don't have to. Not yet. I remember thinking that. So I took a breath, and I and I fought out of it. And and I share that story with you because I got done, and I had this epiphany. For me, it was like that's where we were with our business. We could tap out if we wanted, and and but we don't have to. Not yet. Let's relax and let's fight through it. And of course, that's what we did. And and I've never forgot that story. But that there really is a lesson there to being able to be calm under pressure and to be able to kind of in that moment maintain your composure. And I really do feel like it transfers over to so many areas of life. Totally. And and just build hopes. When you understand jujitsu, you start building hopes. You have your hope extends a little bit farther. You don't panic. You, what work over here in your mind 
you have a, such a piece of a, 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 you're so comfortable in your skin that you are able to kind of solve problem after mm -hmm. problem after problem in a very peaceful manner, in a very respectful manner. And I believe, Dave, that's one of the number one benefits we take from Jiu-Jitsu, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and you know, it's kind of like the key is to remember to transfer that because, you know, I believe wisdom is just experience remembered. And and you can, a lot of guys are really good at jujitsu, but they forget to translate that into other areas of their life. And it's like, you've got to kind of make a conscious effort of, of, of trying to remember to learn those lessons and, and apply them, you know, in, uh, in, a, in a broader scale, so to speak. And, and, and those lessons, they have to come through, uh, you know, we have to think about, man, we can have a jujitsu education. That's going to educate us on the mat. We're going to be more tolerant. We're going to be a lot. We're going to be a better people. But when you add good values, when you start adding values to, to this knowledge, now you, you multiply, you catapult those, 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 those qualities for the rest of your life. And that's, in my personal opinion, now I'm 62 years old. I can tell without a doubt, all those years that I've been on the mat is close to almost 50 years. I was 14. You know, and I was even before that, I was already involved in other martial arts. So it's been 50 years. I can tell without a doubt that the, the best benefits is, is to uh, help you to put things in perspective, help you to be more tolerant, help, help you to have hope for future, help me to premeditate things. So many times when, I, when the thought comes to my mind, I can kind of un unveil the thoughts and I can unveil many directions. And it's unbelievable with jujitsu mindset. I can actually almost premeditate days, months, sometimes years ahead. You can premeditate things ahead. And does doesn't matter if you're gonna take the step or not. It means that your mind mm -hmm. is always working. And you can it's always solution oriented. It's solution oriented. Exactly. You, you, you can't stay continuing doing jujitsu and not develop an optimistic mindset, or you wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. So what what your personal training right now like are are you uh like let's say pre covid 19 i you know are you are you like running a couple times a week are you exercising are you doing jujitsu what's kind of like you give me a week in the life of pedro sauer as far as from a fitness regimen goes for fitness i basically the only exercise that i do is in the pool i i do the gymnastics natural uh, I always been a swimmer since I'm a little kid. I've been swimming since a kid, so I'm a very good swimmer. Uh, uh, I, I can be in the water for. Uh, so I, I'm not a very good uh, for me to be a, to get a good exercise swimming. I have to spend an hour, okay, you know, because I can just cruise and I don't have too much effort. So what I do, I make the swimming a little bit harder. So sometimes I just I, I tighten my legs together and I swim only with my arms. Sometimes I tighten my hands together, swim only with my legs. Uh, and I put gloves, and it's a net glove, makes this you know, pull, pull the water a little bit harder. And I have all this routine that I do uh, by, by I, I got a taught by Alvaro Romano that does gymnastics and natural. And I do this pretty much every day. Um, at least five, four or five times a week, I, I, I try to do that. Right that, now, I've got a inflatable pool on my backyard. All right, all right. You know, I, I know you've met him before, Carl uh, uh, Provick, the, the Silver Fox. Uh, you met him uh, uh, like at our, our, our in Denver a year ago. He 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 wrote a book called Fluid Jiu Jitsu. I know he's a good friend of mine. He, he's Hen, he's a Henzo Gracie black belt, 
and uh, he uh, he's his is all pool training for him. So so I went through a session with him, and he's working on his double leg takedown and this triangle, and and yeah, it's you know underwater. It's really interesting. So I I do it every now and then. I just man, I it's not my favorite thing to do. So I, I don't spend a lot of time in the pool, and I decided to be okay with it. I committed to it for three months because that's what I told myself to do. Mm-hmm. And everybody likes different things, and and you know just it, it's not anything that. Like for me, uh, a lot of body weight, uh, a lot of a lot of body work, you know, body weight, animal planet exercises. Uh, that that seems to be really helpful for me. So, what about uh, uh, going forward? Your plans? Uh, uh, so, what what you know? If, like, okay, we get through this crisis that's going on right now. What what are, what are your hopes for the for the not distant distant future for you and and your association? Well, what I see, Dave, is any person who does martial arts like we do and will bring values to the mat, and we have a good structure, we have curriculum. Yeah, the COVID-19, you know, our business uh, diminished a little bit, but does not finish. And I believe that we're going to go back, and I believe we're going to go back even better. Because I don't know about people out there, but at this time, I really understood the social benefits of martial arts. Mm -hmm. You know, if if I was not involved in martial arts, and I was locked in with my, my wife and kids. I'm not sure how, how, by being agitated the way I was as a child, I don't even know if that could be end up in a good, uh, you know, could be more trouble. You know, you know I tell you, I, I think that obviously Zoom, it's this whole new world, right? And, and training online. And I know we've elected to do some stuff, continue online, although we're, we're able to open up next Monday, right? So our schools are open up limited. Extent, but we're going to continue to run our, some of our staff meetings on Zoom just because it makes sense, right? right. And, and working from home. But I'll tell you what, I agree with you that the more people become open and rece- uh, you know, used to being online, we're, they're going to crave real interaction, and we can provide that in a way. So I'm with you. I think it's alive and well. I think it's going to be tricky for a bit. But, you know, I'm surprised how well, as a business, my business has done over the last three months. It's like, you know, obviously we've We've dropped a bit, but that's to be expected. But I, I, I'm really like if you would have three months ago, you would have told me you're not going to have classes, live classes for the next three months. And to know that we still got like eight, almost 80 percent of our student body that are still involved in, in online classes. It's like it's it, it's pretty remarkable. With that said, I'm ready to be done with this and move on as well. Yeah. And you're going to see, Dave, that you, we're going to have a flux of our students. They're going to arrive in our class. And the moment they feel like, you know, that we're offering uh, jiu-jitsu, uh, other martial arts, and we offer like a more respect, discipline, uh, integrity, you know, when you add those values, the people who's going to arrive in our school, they're going to they're gonna appreciate that. It's not going to just a bunch of guys wrestling, inspiring, mm-hmm. or grab. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. We, have, we have values and moral that we're going to be able to make people better. And that way, we, we, we you know, I'll... Think about how many schools, small little schools that just run like a club. Those people are going to mm-hmm. suffer. You know, those are the yeah, ones. You're right. It, it's like, it, it's really the, uh, you, you know, I had, uh, uh, and I won't keep you much longer, so we're going to wrap it up pretty soon, but I, I share a story with you. Uh, I opened up in 1978, my first school, right? I was six months out of high school. And, uh, you know, I did, there was, this is before any kids. It was all adults, but I did have a, few, a small group of kids. And I remember uh, I had uh, this gal that trained with me for a year. She was about 10 or 11. Her name was Shanti. And uh, 
Anyway, uh, about 10 years later, this would have been now, it's about 1990. I get this call from this guy. He says, yeah, this is Fred Godey. My daughter, Shanti, used to train with me. And I go, oh, I remember because I didn't have any kids back then. And, and he goes, uh, you know, I got to tell you, he was looking for a school for his other son. They'd moved to another city. And he goes, I got to tell you, that year that Shanti spent with you was such a valuable year. And it wasn't really the martial arts that, that she learned from you. It was the, the life skills, you know, that, that's, he used a word like that. And I thanked him and I hung up the phone. But here's why I share this story with you. Because in 1980, we weren't doing any of that stuff. Like like anything that she may have gotten, I don't even know how she got it because I was teaching little kids eye gouges and throat rips. And, you know, like we, there was no protocol. There was no, like, but somehow she still got, you know, some some value. And then it got me thinking, Fast forward, now that we're really emphasizing all these important aspects of martial arts that go beyond the physical, you know, respect, courtesy, self-control, all the things that we do, to see the impact that has on people when you add that, that's this whole other layer that, that really makes me realize that, that, you know, the world needs what we, what, what we offer, you know, and, and uh, uh, it, we really can. I, of course, you and I are both quite biased, but everybody should be doing what we're doing. You know, I totally agree that if we can make a, we can touch people, uh, I'll guarantee that any person who came in contact with in our group of guys, I don't care what you do in life. Doesn't matter if you're a president of, of you know, United States, president of Brazil, uh, minister, doctor, doesn't matter. Whatever you do in life, we're going to be do better. You're going to make better choices. You're going to have a more peace of mind. You're going to be a better parent. You're going to be a better human. I think that what we, that's, that's my belief. And when I bring about, like I told everybody before, with my mom, and when I brought my mom to this conversation, what I did, I got, I, I kind of got the, ex, the, the my mom's kind of mannerism. I got Elio Grace mannerism. I got all the knowledge, all the old people that I learned stuff. And that's what I try to do today. I try to talk to people the way how, the way how I got brought up. So I believe that we are doing things not that we are better than nobody else. I, I myself, I'm not at all. I just treat people nicely, and you see the way how you do in 1978. Just because your personality, it was enough, and even, nobody even knew about this back down there. Back the time was just martial arts. It was no human progress or any kind of yeah, yeah, progress. That's what it is. We got a lot of power to do that, Dave. Yes, sir, we do. Well, I appreciate your time, Professor. It's it's really nice getting caught up. And, and uh, you guys that are listening that aren't martial artists, I bet you got get the idea that maybe you ought to get involved, right? And uh, uh, and so do you have any closing thoughts, sir? Yes. Well, I would like to, you know, for anybody who never done martial arts before, my, part, my, my, my uh, suggestion for you guys, come to a school that treats people nicely, that has a good curriculum, that uh, you're going to see values. You add those values your martial arts training you are preparing people for the rest of their lives they are going to be a better humans in any crisis any any anything that shows up in life you're going to have a better control of yourself you're going to know how to deal with the situation better you're going to be able to travel the world you can go to any country no language you arrive there with a jiu-jitsu mentality you are going you're going to succeed you're going to do well just using this and don't and another thing you just does not let us panic because as you know if you panic you gotta say tap you gotta tap right away mm-hmm. if you start c- controlling the panic you can prolong a little bit and that little seconds that you prolong is a difference between sometimes can be a difference between a good decision and a bad decision 
hundred percent. It's like it's like just that little millimeter of space when you're able to relax that that allows you to hold out. And yeah, no, I, I'm with you hundred percent. Yeah, well, well, thank you, sir. Uh, it's a privilege uh, to, to spend time with you. And uh, uh, if if someone wanted to know more about the Pedro Sauer Brazilian Jiu Jitsu organization, where would they go? Uh, you know, we have the website at pedrosauer.com. And, um, you know, I think if we do like a Facebook stuff, we do uh, Instagram. I, I, I post things here and there. I'm not very good in a, in a social media yet. Uh, I don't post as, much, as many. I don't even know. I'm kind of very simple. I'm a very humble guy. I'm totally normal guy. So, that, so I, I don't kind of post too much stuff. I don't do too much stuff. But I'm always willing to share. I was willing to help out anytime, my friend. And I'm so proud to see all the black belts all the guys that we have in our association, go check it out. If you have anybody close to you, do it. You never right. regret. Yeah, I, I and then and then uh, uh, I had a, a good closing thought, but I don't remember what it was. So I will let you go, sir. Thank you so much. Take care. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All the best. All, thank you very much, Dave. Take care, bro. Oh, bye bye.